Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a new podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. This episode is Son of a Preacher Man live at Bellevue Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. This episode features music from artist Savannah Locke and her husband Todd Locke. Jonathan also interviews Savannah and shares a reflection on Holy Week. Enjoy.
And what?
It's so easy to think that you know who God is, isn't it? And then he just like pulls the rug out from under you and you realize that you've been trying to make him in your own image instead of allowing yourself to be shaped by him. The song that we're about to sing came out of this last um, few months of therapy for me. I've been doing a new form of therapy and it's been very taxing and um, something that came out as a false belief is that I didn't believe that God um, was as good as he said he was. (laughs) And it sounds so simple, but just um, really believing that that his intentions and his heart and his posture towards me doesn't change. And knowing him makes me better and makes the world better. And if you grew up in the church, at least in my experience, I always thought that for some reason he like made me worse or like was angry at the world and like wanted to like burn it, but that God actually wants to bring life into things. So in this song, um, I just hope that you allow yourself to be in the way of his grace. So just putting yourself in the way of grace and in the way of life. And I hope that this breathes hope into you. Um, Maybe if you've given up hope. And I don't want it to sound cliche, um, but that he does want to bring life into your situation and that he brings in like this Sunday, like resurrection, that resurrection life is transferred to you. So that's what this song is about.
Um, you know, I was sitting here and thinking, well, I'll say this real quick first, and then I'll stay up here. I want to tell you guys and keep playing. You know, the thing is, you know, what some of you who aren't more from a charismatic tradition may not know is that there are certain keys that <laughs> conjure the Holy Spirit. It's like you have certain keys going at any time. You can feel the Holy Spirit. It's just how it works. You just hit the right, the right chords. These are definitely Holy Spirit chords. I can do no wrong so long as that is behind me. Um, no, we, I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, this, thank you so much for coming. I had no idea if anybody would come because we planned this like a couple weeks ago. Pastor Christie had graciously invited me to come before and it didn't work out. I was in Oxford, Mississippi working on my next book. It's like, hey, I'm not far. Can I come hang out with you guys? And uh, she graciously invited me to come do the Good Friday service. And I said, also, we kind of do a live podcast thing. We're only week three in the podcast. So it's very new. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity, grateful for this church. Uh, I was telling a friend actually today, uh, Pastor Christie, that it's so weird and wonderful. I feel like I've met my female counterpart. I was just in her study, and it's chock full of comic book paraphernalia and X-Files and Lost. I'm like, man, this is like a female pastoral version of me. That's really, that's really weird and awesome. And, but she's so great, and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. And having Todd and Savannah is real special. They um, so quickly just felt like family to me. We first connected, actually at a songwriting retreat, which is funny that I was at a songwriting retreat because I'm not a songwriter, uh, but was invited to kind of collaborate with those guys. It was a pretty epic way to meet because it was here in Nashville, and we were actually hanging out at the Mama Cash House, like the one that Johnny built for his mom after, you know, at that time, they, that was for their house burnt down, but they couldn't get up the steps anymore, so about the last... I think year of June Carter's life, she was in the house. About the last six months of Johnny's life, he was there. And so we're like in this space where during Johnny Cash's like last few months, I mean, they were recording that last American album that he did. A lot of days we couldn't go to the studio and so just take the walker down the hall and they would set up everything in the living room. It's it's a pretty epic way to hang out. But I, you know, it was in that context that I heard a couple of these songs for the first time and I just would want to affirm publicly I mean, I know you guys know that you're gifted, but there's something so special. I'll put it like this. 
I really aspire to not be a cynical person. But, you know, this podcast is called Son of a Preacher Man. I am the son of a preacher man. My grandfather was a preacher. I've seen a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. What am I talking about? Like, I've, I've, done, I've done whole gamut. And I probably can be a little bit cynical. And I just have to say, like, the songs that they're writing, the worship songs they're writing, they just touch, they move me on a level that almost nothing else moves me. You guys, I would be embarrassed if you knew how often either Savannah or the two of you together have put up a 30-second or minute-long clip on Instagram. And I'll go back over and over again and watch those things because it so speaks to my soul. And part of what I think is so unique about that, and just as we just chat for a couple minutes, I maybe want to lean into, you know, there is from the part of the world that I come from where there's a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and I love it all. I love hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. There's a place for all of it. But there's a lot of wonderful things about that culture. But what I feel like is so different about what you guys are doing, these lyrics are so, they're so pure. They're so good. There's something so, there's something so honest about them. They come from a tender place. It struck me tonight in a wonderful way because I think about all the kind of not bad, but cliche things I hear worship leaders say, like in between a song. And I love that the very first thing that's out of Savannah Locke's mouth is, you know, when I was in therapy the other day. <laughs> I love my therapist. <laughs> that's so great. But I love like that you lead with that. You know what I'm saying? That's not like at the end of the night after like, like that's so great. Um, I'm just curious. I don't even know exactly how to phrase this as a question, but there's a question there somewhere. Like where you, where that comes from for you, like the capacity to be able to, to write worship music in particular, but that is that authentic? Because there's definitely a soulfulness to what you guys are doing that I feel like is certainly lacking in broader worship culture. Like where, where do you feel like you learned it? What sparked that? Where does that come from for you? Um, from therapy. From, th <laughs> from therapy. Right, okay. You guys, Fair I enough. have an amazing therapist if you need one in Nashville. She has a waiting list because I've referred so many people to her. Um, well, I mean, you know me, so I'm an Enneagram 4, if anyone knows what the Enneagram is, which basically, are you a 4? Oh, yes, my heart. Fours so, are not ashamed to say it, I tell you that. No they need to, They need to be unique. Yes, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> We're the most different. Um, but the thing about Enneagram 4s is that I didn't, I'm so thankful that the Enneagram taught me this, is that for my whole life that I needed my insides Krista Black actually says this, my insides need to match my outsides. So I cannot act like things are okay if they're not okay. And I love worship songs that are like triumphant, like God is good all the time, he's faithful, but I always had a hard time like growing up with that because I would walk in and I would be like, but I feel like trash. Mm. And I feel really depressed and things aren't okay. And like, where are you, how can you meet me in this space? And so I think that hopefully what my songs are doing is creating a space for people who, yes, God is good all the time, every day. At the same time, like life can feel so uncertain and confusing and tense, and it's okay if that never gets resolved. So I just want those two worlds to meet. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the what I'm straining for a little bit and not finding the language for precisely is that ability to write songs that are about God, but that are yet unresolved. Yes. Because to say that God is good is one thing, but my friend Chris Green likes to say, and I, I really have, I love this phrase, I've used it a lot of places since, that 
God is sovereign, but God is not in control. I've come to love that phrase. God is sovereign, but God is not in control. Like God can be good and there's still be an awful lot of chaos. God can be good and there's still be a lot of things that just really aren't working out, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And might not. And might not. Yeah. May not. And yeah. on this side of the veil may not, may not be resolved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love for you, because I, I have all kinds of things I could ask, but like one thing I would want to plug Savannah in this way too. She's such a great writer. She'll put up blogs and just stuff that she'll do on social media. I think is so good and again, so soulful. I know you did this a little bit kind of during the, the, the worship time, but what do you, what's just something right now that's just going on inside of you that's like really like burning? Like what's, what's something that you're coming to see right now? What's something that you're hearing? Oh my gosh, I don't want to cry. So we'll skip past the main thing and go to the second thing. Um, I would say that, so this form of therapy I've been doing is called EMDR, and it's basically letting your body grieve Mm. what has happened, like any traumatic incident that's happened. And it's been really impactful for me to recognize that God cares about our physical world Mm -hmm. and cares about my physical temple and... Um, that he dignifies our bodies. Mm. And for me, through this EMDR process, I felt so out of control of my body where I would be sobbing a lot and I would go into my therapist and be like, you did this to me. And she was like, no, like this happened to you and it's been in there this whole time and you need to let it release. And I think that it's been like a really sacred experience for me to realize that there's so much dignity in our physical world and it matters so much to God. And obviously I can't like expand on that idea because it's like six weeks old, but it's, I mean, it's clearly millennial old, but for me, six weeks old. And um, for me realizing that it's important to give myself space to grieve and to release and to breathe. Like all of those songs have stuff about breathing and that's what this whole, when we like finally release this record, it's called Exhale because it's about like connecting with your body because that's like where God, like God came in flesh. And so I think that that's what I've been learning a lot about recently is just the dignity that he gives to our physical world. I love that so much and it's interesting because you talked about being six weeks old and yet also very ancient in another way. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, because I feel like I'm, I'm growing so much in that, in that direction too. Because I think, especially when you grow up in a context where, and I don't know where everybody comes from. Of course, this is a Presbyterian church, and I legitimately think you guys. I know you have your own issues, but there are some issues you don't have. That like people like me, like we get in spades, kind of where I come from. But you know, I definitely feel like at least the kind of Christianity I grew up for all the, the wonderful gifts. It could feel so esoteric. So everything's kind of about trying to transcend your body, trying to get out of your body. Mm-hmm. And it's just wild because really like the New Testament is basically written in protest to that idea. (laughs) That's the earliest heresy of the church is Mm -hmm. that Christ could not have really inhabited a body because bodies are fundamentally dirty. Bodies are bad. It's the spirit. It's, it's It's that which is immaterial, which is truly good. And it's interesting how though when you really dig into the New Testament, like just how consistent that through line is. Early Christians were often made fun of precisely because they believed in a bodily resurrection. People kind of for sport, would burn their bodies after death. Like, oh, like, well, let's see if God can resurrect that. But it was a way of mocking this idea that they would take so seriously that these bodies, when we participate in the sacraments of the church, 
as a pastor, I remember having these moments where I would just, just be so overwhelmed because like to, to baptize somebody and they're like, this is this person that I like, this is, this is an eternal thing that's happening right here. This is an eternal, this body, this body, you know, not just in a symbolic ceremonial way, but that like God is all about, I mean, the, the central scandal of the ministry of Jesus is that he's always touching the wrong people. It's just so bodily. Christianity is a full contact sport, but that's not how all of us have have been given this. And I think like once you go down that trail and you start to see the connection between mind and body and soul and body and how to, for God to restore one of those things is to restore all of those things. I mean, it it changes so much. Yes, and like your body being a temple, where it's like literally I grew up memorizing that since I was like five years old. But then now realizing like my body, my flesh is a temple of God's spirit. Yes. Like it holds and inhabits the spirit of God. Yes, yes. What the heck? Right. And if that's true, and here's, this is still such new territory for me, because like, if you think, and of course, a lot of this comes down to mistranslation. I didn't mean to talk about any of this, but I like, I am theoretically a Pentecostal person. It's it's weird because I grew up in Pentecostal tradition. I still kind of self-identify that way. I'm also a confirmed Episcopalian, which basically means I'm extremely confused. Like I just kind of live at some very interesting intersections. But you know, um, when we, when I, when I, when we, think about this and we think about how I just totally lost my place entirely right then. No, it's okay. The body being the temple. The body being the temple. Yes, yes, yes. Like if the the idea that God inhabits the body, oh, the mistranslation, that's what I was going to say. The Apostle Paul. I feel like one of the worst things that ever happened is that English translations take Paul's word and we say flesh in a way that says Paul, people read that and they say, oh, Paul thinks the body is bad. Paul thinks the body is evil. The very thing, keep in mind, so much of the New Testament is written in protest to Gnosticism. So the very idea Paul's trying to combat, people think that's what he's trying to do, and that Paul thinks the body is bad. But really what, what Paul talks about when he describes the flesh is not, it's not about the body. It's not about, phys- it's not about skin. If anything, it's about ego. But it's, not about, it's, it's, it's definitely not about skin. The body's fundamentally good. And like when you start to, and this is still messing with my brain because I'm still so wired to think, that my body is kind of bad. And if I want something, it must be bad. If I feel like I really need to go to sleep, it's because I'm lazy. You know, like all of my fundamental appetites, I just, I'm so used to thinking, oh, they're just fundamentally awful. But then when you start to think, okay, so God might actually be at work in your body and everything about my body, oh, remarkably, might not be bad. What if, in fact, I mean, I think I remember reading this somewhere. What if we're, in fact, fearfully and wonderfully made? And what if we're, what if we're created good? And what if there is a blessing that precedes the fall? That's where the story begins, not in Genesis 3, but Genesis 1. God creates us and called us good. And man, it's, just, it's, it's crazy because it can seem like such a small shift, and it's not. It's more like everything in your life shifts when you come to really believe that, that God creates all things, that God creates us in particular, good. If you start, that's the foundation of your gospel, because it's like when people start their version of the Christian story in Genesis 3, if you start with the problem of sin, you kind of go on a whole different track. It becomes a different religion when it's not grounded essentially in the goodness of God. I think it's that it's that crucial. Now I'm just preaching. No, I, I love mean to it. Start preaching. Keep going. Well, I guess I will talk just a little bit and tell you what I, I didn't. I know I didn't ask you this for, but Todd, if you don't mind, I'm just afraid if you stop playing, that the Holy Spirit will leave. Okay, and well, in well. the words of David, 
take not the Holy Spirit away from me. I just like, you could just, because I just want to talk for a few minutes, and then we'll do like, you know, a little talk back and stuff like that. But if you want to just keep playing a little bit, that'll be fine, because I'm just going to, I'm just going to share for a few moments and we'll interact some. But there's, um, Matthew 26 is, um, is a text I've been thinking a lot about this week. And as Christy said, I mean, it's, it's Holy Week. And not only is it Holy Week, it's Holy Wednesday. I guess Holy Wednesday is a thing. It's interesting because um, I think Holy Wednesday is a thing, but it's not exactly a particular thing. It, it's the moment in between. You set that up so beautifully in your introductory remarks. Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, and we remembered the time in which Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, rides in on a humble donkey, and he's absolutely defenseless. There's no army. There is a kind of pomp and circumstance, but everything about the, everything about the whole scene is just is off in a wonderful way. It almost seems like a parody of the way the Romans would do armies. There are no stallions. There's just, there's just a guy on a borrowed donkey. And even the fact that he's on a borrowed donkey says a lot about what kind of king this is over against all the other kinds of kings and all the empires and structures of this world. Everything about that scene, the humility of Jesus, um, defenseless riding in town, knowing something of, of what's ahead. And so we start the week on that note, and yet we're heading into the dark and terrible things. And specifically, I've thought a lot about just the, the juxtaposition of that Palm Sunday event that we just celebrated and what we read in Matthew 26, when Jesus is betrayed. And I'll say this too, not trying to be too um, abstract or whatever, but it's interesting to talk about these things right now because I feel like we're in such an in-between time, not just because it's Wednesday during Holy Week. More broadly, we're in an in-between time where caught between all these tensions and polarities that are super complex, it just feels like an in-between time. But I don't want to preach about that. Matthew 26, beginning with... Um, well, I had this text here before. I just got so carried away talking about the body. Oh, here we go. Yeah, verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived, and with him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And actually, I'm going to try not to cry now, but this is, this is a verse that's so odd, but that it gets me emotional every time. Jesus says to him, friend, do what you're here to do. Part of why that moves me so much is that I just don't think there's a trace of irony in the voice of Jesus here. Even up to the very end, even in the midst of the betrayal, Jesus is still speaking a word of friendship to the betrayal. I think that's sincere. So Jesus says, friend, do what you came here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly one of those with Jesus put his hand on the sword, drew it, struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. 
Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled which say it must happen in this way? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place so the scriptures, the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So I'm thinking this week about the ways in which we're living between those two moments. On the one hand, the humility of Jesus, the vulnerability of Jesus. And then this other moment where the Romans come to arrest him and Peter in the heat of passion, the heat of moment, pulls out his sword. And next thing you know, he hacks off the ear of the high priest. That image just seems especially poignant for me right now because I think in such an in-between uncertain time, it's such a temptation right now to want to really to clasp at anything, but especially something about grabbing the sword. When you feel like you're threatened, when you feel like your way of life is threatened. Of course, I think a lot of us, you know, we're not martyrs. We just have a martyr complex. But in this case, you know, it's not paranoia when they really are out to kill you. They really are coming to take Jesus away. And yet when Peter does this, the, the rebuke of Jesus, Peter, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. It just feels like right now we're, I think, for, especially for those of us who are part, who would self-identify as part of the church, capital C. So in between this, we've got a humble king and we've got the way of that kingdom, which is always about humility, service, self-sacrifice, love. But on the other hand, Oh, it's so tempting when things feel volatile and we feel insecure and we feel afraid to want to pull out the sword and just start swinging and see what happens. You know, I had a conversation with somebody about this the other day. I don't lean too hard on this, but it, I thought this is worth saying. Somebody brought up to me the other day, because of course here Jesus says, put away your sword. And he says, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Anytime I've ever brought up that verse, somebody loves to always bring up back to me, yes, but there is another text where Jesus tells the disciples to carry their swords with them. And it's, it's the way a lot of people read scripture. <laughs> well, you got a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then if we don't like something, you know, um, I feel like people do this a lot of things. Well, Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount to bless our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, turn the other cheek. Yeah, but you know, a lot of people die in judges, so therefore, maybe I don't have to bless my enemies. I like the God of judges here better. You know, we kind of do that thing. But I think the timing is so pivotal that just before Jesus is taken away and crucified, just before his death and resurrection, that that's the moment where he says to Peter, put away your sword. That's the moment where he says, we're not doing this. If you live this way, those who live by the sword die by the sword. What does it say that this happens just before the end? Because here's what you have to keep in mind about the gospel writers. The reason that there are all these apocalyptic signs that happen around the death and resurrection of Jesus, the reason there's earthquake and there's flashes of lightning and all these things that we read, same kind of stuff we read about back on the Mount of Sinai in the Old Testament. The reason that you have all these apocalyptic signs is that the idea is in the resurrection of Jesus, something happened that's, that's so dramatic 
that it not only is transformative for Jesus and that he, he's the one who's risen from the dead, but it changes the cosmos, changes the whole creation. That's what the Gospels are trying to communicate through these apocalyptic signs. Something happened so dramatic through the death and resurrection of Jesus that it changed the destiny of all created things. The whole world looks different because of this. Because, you know, that's the message of the Gospels. Paul's message is the same thing that happened to Jesus will happen to all of us who are in Christ. He's the firstborn of those from the dead. This is a fundamental shift in humanity. In other words, a, a whole new world has dawned. This is a new day. The death and resurrection of Jesus means the world gets a fresh start. This is new creation. I don't mean to, I'm getting so preachy right now on a calm Wednesday night, but like uh, Paul refers to Jesus as the second Adam. In this, so Here's my point. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, everything shifts. What I would want to contend to you is that if you want to know what to do with the fact that Jesus tells the disciples at one point to carry a sword and now put away your sword, those who live by the sword die by the sword. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, a whole new day has come. Those aren't the people we are anymore. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual rulers in high places. Or in Colossians, Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, mighty through God of the pulling down of strongholds. We don't, we don't live that way anymore. We don't live from a posture of self-defense. We don't live from a posture of self-protection. We don't live out of this fear that someone might take something from us that we love. We don't live from a place of fear. This is a whole new time. This is a whole new age that has dawned in Christ. And I'm just saying all that to say, and I say this gentleness, I'm just not in a fussy mood. Sometimes I can be fussy and tonight I'm really not, I'm really not. I just think it's very important that as a church of Jesus, especially that we're, that we're clear on this particular point. The kingdom of God is not established through human violence. And I think the thing that will most set apart God's people in these very violent, volatile times will be our gentleness and our tenderness. A chosen tenderness, not because we're naive, not because we're not aware that there aren't dangers and challenges. Of course, there's plenty of dangers. It's just, we follow this Jesus. We're the ones who are going this route of instead of living from a posture of defense, instead of contending, instead of striving, instead of fighting, we're the ones who are following this humble king. And it's just, it's just a different way. It's a different way of being in the world. I fight it every day of my life because there is something in me. And, you know, and I get, I'm sure I get confused about these things sometimes. I, I, I do have a bit of a fighter in me. And it's so easy for me to want to fight things that I think are unjust or bad happening in the world in the spirit of the world. <laughs> Man, I've thought about this so often lately that, you know, when they accuse Jesus of casting out demons because he has a demon, but Jesus' response is, hey, Beelzebub can't cast out Beelzebub like through Satan. The house divided against itself can't stand. But I, I, feel my, I feel myself doing that. If I feel like someone is being unjust, if I see something I feel like is, is wrong, I will oppose that in the name of righteousness, justice, and goodness in the same energy, you know, that, that they're kind of coming at me. And oh, it, it, just, it just doesn't work. When I fight fire with fire, when I take on that same spirit, that same posture, that same attitude, you know, I, I try not to bury my head in the sand. I try to keep up with what's happening in the world, but I tell you what, prayer has become such a lifeline for me right now because every day I need a bath from like all the news. Like I, I gotta get back to like ground zero. I gotta get back to a place like where I'm clean. I just can't live 
cluttered with that all the time. I can't live angry all the time. I can't live in a state of constant perpetual outrage. doesn't mean there's not legitimate things to be outraged. I'm just, my soul can't handle it to live in a place of nonstop outrage or just rage. And it's hard. It's hard to go that route. There's a reason that Jesus calls this a narrow way. Man, so much of my life growing up, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. I've, I've lost complete track of time. What time is it for real? Okay, perfect. That's good. Thank you. Um, I, I just feel like I've spent so much of my life, I always thought the narrow way was like, I don't know, this very restrictive holy path for especially holy people who do especially holy, you know, just don't do, do anything bad. The more and more I, I'm in this thing, the more I'm coming to see the stuff I'm talking about tonight, oh, oh that's the narrow way. <laughs> it's not all that hard to not cuss, drink, and chew. May even not be recommended, but I might shouldn't say that on the podcast, right? Like that's not that's not all that hard. But this the stuff we're talking about tonight, oh, oh, oh this is hard. Being tender in a violent age is hard. <laughs> Being people of the cross in a time of the sword is hard. Because we're these people who claim that because of what happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the world has fundamentally all, already changed. The world doesn't seem to be awake to that yet. Everybody else is not walking to, to that particular beat. It is a radically countercultural message. And part of what sucks about it is, because you know, it's, it's, I've moved so much in my life, I've changed so much from the person I was when I was young. So when Jesus tells me to bless my enemies, well, my enemies have moved because I've, I've shifted, right? Like, I mean, my enemies used to be my enemies used to, well, I don't think I want to get in particular descriptions right now. Anybody outside our particular tribe? I mean, my mom didn't wear weight, makeup or jewelry when I was growing up. Sometimes I say she didn't wear pants, and I thought they need to quickly qualify. She wore dresses. She wore dresses. But like everybody, I mean, any, anybody who's outside our tribe, like, they're, they're, just going to, they're just going to hell. Presbyterians were going to hell. Catholics were going to hell. Anybody who wasn't, who wasn't like us. But it's funny though that like you, you think you change, but really what happens as we grow up and we get older is that we still end up playing these childish games of cowboys and Indians, and we're still wearing white hats. The black hats are different. It's a different bad guy now, but it's still the same old games. And it's really disturbing to me sometimes as a person who ostensibly has been following Jesus all of my adult life, just how quickly that I can just move right in that same pattern of behavior and thinking and relating to people just on a slightly different end of the continuum from where I grew up, but just kind of do it in, in the opposite direction now. Well, I, I, I don't, I think this person is deeply wrong about this issue. And I think this message is really harmful. Therefore, I don't have to love them. <laughs> Therefore, I get permission to kind of stew in judgments. I mean, self-righteousness is always a a temptation in that way. I'm saying a lot of things, but you know, I really, I really want to encourage you tonight, maybe encourage all of us preaching to myself as I always do, to find some kind of space for this path of tenderness tonight. I'm just wondering where in your life right now even that you're, there's a fight that's brewing that just might not be a fight that you're called to. There are some fights that we can be called to. I do believe that, but I tell you what, what I continue to see happening most of the time in my life is that instinct that's very much like Peter in the text is that so often I, I just find I pick up the sword by an awful lot of things where I, that I just think are not are necessarily given to me. It's a way of taking matters into my own hands. 
There's some things that are just, that are just beyond my control. I, we're, we're called to love. We're called to serve. We're called to bring the kindness of Jesus to bear in the world. But like we don't, we don't have to fix everything all the time. And if you're living in that way, where it's constantly like a sense of like taking matters in your own hands, oh, the world is exhausting enough as it is without feeling like everything is yours to fix. Everything has to be, I'm trying to find that place right now to live in that kind of surrender. I know that God has called me to walk in the path of the King. I know that the humi his humility, his tenderness, I know that the, the spirit of Jesus, I know that's, that's the route for me. And I know it's a way of forgiveness. I know it is a way of blessing enemies. There are just some things that just, just aren't mine to do. I wonder what it would look like just for somebody, just to, just to lower our defenses a little bit. Let's do it like this, if you don't mind. I really felt like um, one of the things I want to do for the podcast, I love to have a little time for question and answer and talk back. I feel like that's so important. But Savannah, if you wouldn't mind coming back up now, I think I'd rather save that for the end like, and just have just, an, just another minute or two more just for a little bit of ministry, because I know my heart has been broken open by the worship. And even as we're talking about these ideas, hopefully there's something that maybe the Spirit is, is steering in you. So I just invite you, if you don't mind, maybe just to comfortable, just close your eyes for a moment. Whatever a posture of prayer is for you, of openness, of receptivity. And God, I just ask for the grace now. You know, Savannah talked about it earlier, you know, to kind of, come into some of these painful places and to see things that are hard to see, but to sit there and to be there. To be in the awkward in-between space. To, to be unresolved in your presence. God, here your sons and daughters are, and we are very unresolved. Think about Jesus even in the ascension when the gospel said that even in that moment, some worshiped and some doubted. Tonight, here we are worshiping and doubting, in many cases simultaneously. And I just ask God, just kind of in the stillness of this moment, that you would just by your spirit hover over us here. Show us the ways that we're attempting to take matters into our own hands. Show us the ways in which we're attempting to go the way of Peter with the sword rather than going the way of the king and of his cross. Show us the ways right now that we're, it's the way we're approaching our lives and the way we're approaching our conflicts and the way we're approaching the things that hurt. It just, just really looks so much more like the kingdoms of this world than the kingdom of God established in Christ. Show us those things about ourselves. And I pray specifically as we enter into this vulnerable space and we're open, I just pray that for the hearts of any of your sons and daughters here that need any kind of mending or healing, just Lord, that you would do that. that there's safety in here to be, to be exposed and that'd be all right. We can be exposed in your presence and be safe and be loved. And to know that you've got your arms around all the things that we don't know how to get our arms around. You're, you're holding very close and very safe. You're all, all, the, all the contents of our heart, God, you hold them close. You hold us close. Just pray that you administer to each of us now, God, to walk in the humility of the King, to lay down our weapons, to lay down our swords, to follow Jesus. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. 
Like an LP, each episode is divided into side A and side B. Side A could be a sermon, a conversation with a guest, but will always introduce some idea. Side B will always be a creative exploration of that idea through music, question answering with listeners, or quirky rabbit trails off of side A for people who want the deep cuts, not just the singles. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and sign up for our email list. Have a good day.